This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America, brought to you through the cooperation of the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, and Link TV. And now, here's host, Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. We're coming to you from New York City this week and the annual International Convention of the Latin American Studies Association. This week, it's all about corruption, police corruption in Honduras, and various allegations of government corruption in Argentina. But first, back to our studio in St. Louis, where Chorsey Martin has details of various corruption cases and the rest of our weekly review of news from around Latin America. Opposition groups in Honduras are calling for international attention regarding what they say is the weakened state of the country's democracy. The Honduran Supreme Court ruled last month that President Juan Orlando Hernandez may stand for re-election next year. Opposition leaders say such a re-election would allow further moves toward an authoritarian state. Salvador Nasrala is one of the opposition leaders speaking out this week. We have heard the message sent by the murder of activist Berta Cáceres. They want to kill us. Media outlets that speak against the government are closed. This is happening now. This certainly constitutes a dictatorship when we can't even protest in the streets. Police and military units broke up a series of nationwide protests last year for calling Hernandez to step down. Opposition groups and protesters say the president is corrupt and is behind a climate of human rights violations aimed at anti-government activists. President Hernandez opposed a bid to allow re-election of President Manuel Zelaya seven years ago, a movement for constitutional change that resulted in a coup that removed Zelaya from office. We'll have more about politics in Honduras, including a corruption scandal involving the national police. We'll have that discussion later on in this program. Michelle Temer, the new president of Brazil, has only held the top office for a little more than two weeks, and already he has his first scandal, or at least the latest chapter in two of Brazil's other major scandals. Planning Minister Romero Juca submitted his resignation, leaving Temer's new cabinet this week. The media obtained a recording of Juca plotting how impeachment could be a way to stop prosecutors from uncovering more details of corruption at the state oil company Petrobras. Timmer stepped in as president after the country's Senate suspended President Dilma Rousseff on charges she misled Congress over the country's spending. Rousseff has maintained the impeachment process is an illegal coup. After stepping down, Juca noted that he has not been charged and that he was quoted out of context. However, prosecutors are now investigating Juca and others to see if they tried to cover up financial abuses at the state oil firm. Prosecutors say politicians and their allies have drained at least $2 billion out of that state company. We've all heard the saying, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Well... President Evo Morales may be learning that in Bolivia. After losing a referendum to extend his term in office earlier this year, Morales allowed government authorities to put his former mistress in jail, locked up on corruption charges. Some observers believe the scandal involving Gabriela Zapata may have cost Morales the referendum vote. Zapata is accused of embezzlement, money laundering, and using undue influence to steer more than $500 million worth of state contracts to a Chinese firm that also paid her. Zapata has been giving quite a few interviews about her relationship with Morales, including details about their secret love child. 
Although President Morales has never been married, the revelations have caused quite a bit of embarrassment, including an editorial this week in the New York Times, labeling Morales as the worst boyfriend in Bolivia. For Latin Pulse, I'm Chorsey Martin. Thanks, Chorsey. Our shout-out this week goes to our listeners in Marquette, Michigan. Our listening group in Marquette was our third largest this past week, behind only our listeners in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. and in Guatemala City. So we say thank you very much to all of the vacationers and others in the Upper Peninsula, Marquette, and elsewhere around the globe. And now on to the issue of corruption. Earlier this month, Prosecutors in Argentina formally indicted former President Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner on fraud and corruption charges. They allege Fernandez led a group of politicians and business leaders who took $5 billion through a variety of complex schemes. This comes after revelations in the Panama Papers that Fernandez and her now deceased husband, Nestor Kirchner, also a former president, had set up more than 100 shell companies to hide income. But Argentina's new president, Mauricio Macri, is among the most prominent world leaders also named in the Panama Papers case. We asked Mark Jones at Rice University for his analysis of Macri and corruption in Argentina. Jones is also a fellow at the James Baker III Institute. We spoke to him via long-distance line between Houston and St. Louis. There is a litany of different cases related to hotels that she owned where uh, businessmen who are uh, who are who also are charged with corruption and where there is concrete evidence they engaged in corrupt acts, where they would, for instance, rent out the entire hotel or close to the entire hotel, pay exorbitant uh, room rates, but yet no one would actually stay in the room. It was a way to launder money back to the president and her family. And there are just dozens and dozens of these types of cases. It's just. Are the, the difficulty for the judicial branch there and prosecutors are is picking those cases where there's the most concrete evidence. Although the more people that get arrested, uh, the more who are turning state's evidence and providing the proof that the prosecution needs. Uh, I don't think that Christina Fernandez will ever actually go to jail. She may spend some time under house arrest, but I think her life for at least the next five to 10 years is going to feature many appearances in court in this a constant uh, judicial cloud hanging over her head. What can you tell us about these recent indictments? Any more specifics about them? Well, there are some. There's a businessman named Lazaro Vice who is very closely associated with the Kirchners, and most of the indictments uh, that have at least come up now are, are linked to that case in terms of uh, money that he funneled to Cristina Fernandez and her, her son, Maximo Kirchner, and others. And the evidence is pretty strong, but in the end, I don't think that she or her son will end up in jail, although we have seen some uh, figures who are linked to buys and people who could provide information, such, such as lawyers and accountants, uh, ending up mysteriously dead. Since you raised that um, particular specter of, um, I guess, collusion and, and unexpected deaths, um, there still lingers the the case from the last year or so of the um, Fernandez administration of the uh, prosecutor who um, wound up dead. That case has also taken some different turns. Um, will that 
also possibly cause problems for um, former President Fernandez in the future? Oh, with the, yes. With the case of Alberto Nisman and his death, that's less likely just because we have no, we really no one knows what happened and enough evidence was destroyed or at least uh, not collected such that unless uh, <coughs> someone very credible uh, comes uh, forth and confesses or provides uh, irrefutable proof, I think that case may very well continue to be a mystery, just like uh, the bombing of the Jewish Mutual Aid Association that the prosecutor was uh, investigating. We have gone a bit afield here from, from corruption and, and fiscal irresponsibility. So let me, let me, let me bring us back to that particular area. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering, um, we've certainly seen these judicial moves against the former president, against former President Fernandez, but we've, we've also seen the revelations of the Panama Papers um, that point some fingers at President Macri. It seems as though whether you're on the right or the left in Argentina these days, that there are accusations of, um, of at least shadowy fiscal dealings. Right. Uh, the, in the Panama Papers for Mauricio Macri, that tends to be linked more to his father, Franco Macri, who made his um, millions and millions of dollars through sweetheart deals with, gov- with the government, government contracts, and what many people view as some shady dealings. Uh, Mauricio Macri probably personally is less involved. Uh, he may have been involved only because his father put him on the board of some of these shadow companies, uh, but he himself probably isn't directly linked. But it is more of a problem for him than, it, say, it would normally be because one of the hallmarks and key planks of his campaign was good government, transparency, and anti-corruption. And therefore, he has to be squeaky clean. Uh, if this was, say, Christina Fernandez, no one would bat an eye, because the, within the Argentine public, there was an expectation of a certain level of corruption. It's just that she went beyond the pale. Uh, for Macri, though, because of the, his campaign and because of his image and because he campaigned as the antithesis to Cristina Fernandez, anything that is uh, linked to corruption or could be uh, discerned as having some tie to corruption hurts his government. But I think unless we see some more serious allegations and revelations coming from the Panama Papers, it's unlikely to have an adverse impact on his administration because, by and large, people associate it more with his father who people already knew was uh, linked to some of this type of crony capitalism, uh, which Argentina is famous for. There was some talk that a special prosecutor or a special investigative team would be named to look into the president's involvement in these companies as part of the Panama Papers revelations. Where does that stand? No, that is happening, and that will be underway. But unless they uncover something far more serious than we've seen to date, I doubt that it will have any serious impact on Macri's uh, governance. What haven't we covered um, regarding Macri's government, his new reforms, his policies going forward, or corruption that you would like to add to? Well, I think what's key for the Macri government looking forward is the issue is the economy. Uh, inflation now is running in the 30s somewhere. Uh, we don't still have a good handle because of uh, the lack of reliable statistics. But Macri needs to bring the inflation rate down to 1% to 2% per month by the end of the year. 
and also start to grow the economy. And then in Argentina, you also have elections every two years. So once we hit the fall, people are going to start looking towards the 2017 midterm elections when one half of the Chamber of Deputies and a third of the Senate will be up for renewal. And that will be a key test for the Macri government. If he wins those elections, then he will bolster his support in Congress, where right now he has a relatively modest share of the seats, and set the stage for his re-election in 2019. If he loses those elections, however, and suffers a serious defeat at the polls, not only will he remain very weak in Congress, but also both many of his allies and the rival Peronists will see blood in the water and look at him as very being very vulnerable for re-election in 2019. And, and the time, though, to set the stage for a successful 2017 and therefore for a re-election effort in 2019 is this fall in 2016, where he needs the economy back on track. If the economy starts to plummet, he's going to have increased political problems as governors and deputies and senators rebel against him. And as the public begins to sour on him, and that could create really serious trouble for the 2017 election, as well as governability through the remainder of his administration. More or less what you're telling us is the end of any honeymoon is going to be the fall, likely. Um, is the honeymoon period still on for the Macri administration in Argentina? Well, I, th- I think we're, st- we're still in the honeymoon period, but it's coming to a close. And uh, Macri now is going to have to start to deliver some real concrete results that the population sees as lower inflation and a growing and booming economy that uh, raises all ships. I'm glad you mentioned the inflation numbers. 30% inflation is, is, is still a dire number. Um, but when compared to the economic problems uh, next door in Brazil, uh, farther north in Venezuela, where we're talking about possibly 500% inflation, um, 30% seems um, uh, relatively um, good in this respect, but still more to be done is what you're saying. No, yeah, sad but true compared to Brazil and especially Venezuela, where I don't recall, in Latin America at least, uh, we haven't had a country that was upper, upper middle, at least middle income, crash as far as Venezuela has. No country, even Argentina in the worst days of 2002, did not even come close to Venezuela with the shortages of food uh, and medicine, not to mention uh, the severe violence. What haven't we covered that you think is important? Uh, I mean, I think, you know, the, the, I guess one final thing that's important to think about is uh, the opposition, Peronism. Uh, right now, a Peronism, which has governed Argentina for most of the, uh, for, since, which all, for all but two years uh, in between 99 and 2001, governed Argentina between 89 and 2015, uh, is now in a period of fragmentation and looking for a new leader. And so, Macri's been able to take advantage of the divisions within Peronism, in part because of the honeymoon period, and he should be able to continue to do so if there's a booming economy, because he'll be able to effectively buy support with uh, transfers of resources and public works projects among the governors and keep Peronism divided, which would help him in 2017 and 2019. If, however, the economy falters, his ability to provide the uh, goods and resources that the, the parents' politicians need to keep control of their local territories, those will be diminished. And if Macri's support among the public falls, those same governors in, within parentism will be more opposed to him in, in a more active way. And that could spell trouble, especially if parentism begins to rally around 
one uh, single leader, which is its natural custom to have a very vertical system where you have one sole leader, if that person starts to rise up, particularly in a period where Makri is experiencing trouble, then uh, he could be in a very difficult situation for re-election in 2019, as well as in terms of actually governing during the latter half of his administration from 2017 through 2019. Given all you've said during this interview, you're also telling us Christina Fernandez de Kirchner is not that person who's going to lead Peronism forward. No, no. Christina Fernandez's time has passed. Uh, she's going to, it's going to take all the energy and effort she has to stay out of jail and to maintain as much of her wealth as possible. Uh, she'll still be a person of relevance within politics, but she will not be the leader who will unite Peronism and attempt to bring it back into power. That will be someone more like Salta Governor Juan Manuel Urtube or former presidential candidate Sergio Massa. Thank you so much. Mark Jones of Rice University and the James A. Baker III Institute joining us today via long-distance line from Houston, Texas. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. We'll be hearing more from that interview with Mark Jones on this program next month. Coming up, catching up on the complex corruption cases in Honduras. Stay with us. Democracy is synonymous with independence. Independence is synonymous with emancipation. Emancipation is synonymous with sovereignty. Sovereignty is synonymous with superiority. Superiority is synonymous with arrogance. Arrogance is synonymous with domination. And domination is synonymous with dictatorship. Dictatorship always finds its way. Amnesty International. Learn. Indignate. Act. Welcome back to Latin Pulse. This spring, Honduran authorities opened a special investigation into ties between drug traffickers and the national police. Shocking revelations sparked the investigation. Allegations that high-ranking police commanders had assassinated top anti-drug officials in Honduras on the orders of drug lords, and that the police had not only operated its own hit team, but also worked to stop investigations into the murders committed by this group of police insiders. We asked Dana Frank at the University of California, Santa Cruz, to catch us up on the police scandal and what it means in the controversial political climate in Honduras. She joined us via Skype between Santa Cruz and St. Louis. It confirms that the police at the very top levels are spectacularly corrupt, that they participated in killings of, of critics of the police that had documents about the police. And that's what this scandal is in part about. Um, but if you follow the trajectory of how the channel, the, excuse me, of how the scandal broke, you can also see there's a lot more going on than that. Because the story broke when a very right-wing paper, El Geraldo, which supported the coup and is a, a big cheerleader of the current dictatorial president, Juan Orlando Hernandez, why would suddenly El Geraldo come uncover a lot of documents that establish, and if these documents are real, we think they are, that establish that previous uh, the national directors of the police and very top figures in the police um, ordered the killing of two very famous um, figures, police inspectors, one was a former congressman, who had a documentation of the involvement of the police at the very top in in drug trafficking and organized crime. The, the two men were named Gonzalez and 
Landa Verde. One was killed in two, December of 2009 and the other in December of 2011 on the exact anniversary. So these documents, um, indeed, if they're real, we think they are, most of them, we don't really know, establish that um, these, these top police, and there's a video showing this where they're talking about ordering the hit on these two critics of the police. So this is the kind of thing we've known for a long time, um, that the police in Honduras kill people um, with impunity. We have many cases of this, and in fact, uh, one of the one of these um, national directors of police was a documented leader of death squads in the period 1998 to 2002. So on the one hand, this is not news. On the other hand, it's news that why is this right-wing paper that supports the, the dangerous thug of a president suddenly breaking these stories? And what it appears to be is that these stories are being broken so that Juan Orlando Hernandez, the president, can make it look like he's heroically cleaning up the police while leaving other dangerous figures at the top of the police. We have uh, certainly tracked the militarization of the police in Honduras for some time on this program, but I wanted to go even further back. In some of your information, you have framed this clearly, this particular scandal of um a police hit squad at the highest levels as being connected to the coup. And we certainly see the first one of these assassinations happening in 2009 at about the same time as the coup. And so um, are you clearly saying to us that that this is this is part of the fallout from the Zelaya coup of 2009? Yeah, it was a coup against Zelaya. Zelaya was the democratically elected president. The coup was perpetrated by Roberto Micheletti, and in fact, the current president of Honduras, Juan Orlando Hernandez, was a was the chair of a congressional committee at the time that supported and endorsed the illegal, unconstitutional military coup. Certainly, the coup, the 2009 coup, opened the door for an almost complete destruction of the rule of law in Honduras, and so we now have a judiciary that's largely corrupt. We have prosecutors that largely corrupt. We have an attorney general who is illegally appointed to a five-year term through an illegal process run by the current president, Juan Orlando Hernandez. We have Congress members, so-called narco-Congress members, narco-judges, um, narco-police. And in fact, the person who most clearly stated that was Alfredo Landaverde, who was one of the men that was assassinated by the police, according to these new documents. We know that there's this level of corruption um, throughout the police and also in the military. We know that the coup itself was a vast criminal act by the military and also the Supreme Court and majority of the Honduran Congress includes. And that what that meant was that all bets were off in terms of criminal activity. Um, the current president, Juan Orlando Hernandez, just continues this and, of course, was part of it. He led the so-called technical coup of, of December 2012 in which he overthrew four members of the constitutional branch of the Supreme Court and named new ones the next day in a completely illegal process. Um, he again uh, led the illegal naming of the current attorney general who is loyal to him. And he himself is vastly corrupt um, in terms of stealing some money, of, from the money from the National Health Service. And we can talk about later when we talked about the corruption issues. Well, let's talk about that now. The Organization of American States has has put a team on the ground in Honduras to fight corruption um, and to uncover um, connections between elites and the powerful. And this is modeled on the same sort of 
of operation that the UN was sponsoring in Guatemala. Do you expect that that this will yield the same sort of results? Um, I want to underscore that this OAS Commission on Impunity and Corruption, the MACI, M-A-C-C-I-H, as it's known by its acronym, is not, in fact, nodded on the one in Guatemala. In fact, it is a counter to the call for a United Nations-sponsored commission modeled on the one in Guatemala. So let's back up a little bit and see the context of this. In the past several years, at least 300, the government admits that at least $300 million were stolen from the National Health Service on Honduras, which had a pretty good system of national hospitals that middle-class people and working-class people in the formal economy utilized and supported. And, and it has been completely devastated by thievery, at least, again, $300 million have been stolen. You have people dying in the halls, thousands of people dying as a result of it. The system is bankrupt. The doctors and nurses don't get paid. And in uh, about a year ago, David Romero, a journalist at, at, um, at, at Globo Television, revealed um, checks that have been confirmed to be real by the Attorney General that, sh- that document that at least $90 million of that $300 million that was stolen from the National Health Service were diverted into the ruling party and the president's election campaigns. And so we have this huge scandal that led to mass protests in the streets starting last May, some of the biggest demonstrations in Honduran history by the so-called indignados. I, I saw the two biggest protests in the capital, and they were two, two of the most beautiful protests I've ever seen in my life. People carried torches to represent the people that died, and the, and the marches happened at twilight. And they call for the resignation of Juan Orlando Hernandez and for the resignation of the Attorney General and the Assistant Attorney General, who have been sitting on this evidence, which they confirm is real, for a year and a half. Uh, that Those protests, the core of them, were calling for a United Nations-sponsored commission on impunity and corruption modeled on the CICIG in Guatemala, which did indeed bring down the president of Guatemala, Odo Paris Molina, because of his own baldly corrupt um, practices. So this huge mass movement, one of the biggest ones in Honduran history, and immensely popular, with a very clear demand, and echoed throughout Honduran civil society, that the United Nations bring in this commission modeled on one in Guatemala was met instead by the organization American States backed by the, the Obama administration and the State Department to have a alternative commission that would be controlled by the OES and by the United States and it has very weak powers um, it does not have the power to prosecute it doesn't have it doesn't it's working very closely with the Honduran government itself and um, uh, we're very, very skeptical of it. And now they're saying that their top two cases are going to, first they said, was going to be the police reform and police corruption. And then they started talking about taking on the case of Berta Cáceres, the indigenous activist who was assassinated to, um, a few weeks ago. And they, they don't, this is not about corruption. Of course, now we see that, of course, some of the alleged killers of Berta Cáceres did include people in the, in the military. But somehow the fact that this whole thing was created that the Masi Commission on Impunity and Corruption was created because the president was documented to have stolen money and put it in his campaign, um, is, has disappeared from the conversation about what this commission was doing. Let's talk about the Caceres case. Do you also see this as, as part of a diversion, or do you think that there's a potential for justice in this case? The assassination of Berta Caceres is the... Uh, the very famous, world-famous indigenous and environmental activist and leader of the Honduran resistance to the coup, I'd also underscore. Uh, this is the single biggest assassination since the coup. I mean, up to this point, 
with the exception of the two um, uh, the two men that were assassinated by the police we talked about before, they have not taken out top leadership. So this is a sign that the um, that the elites in Honduras and um, and I would see the Honduran government complicit in this, as many people have pointed out, um, uh, that 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 they will kill anybody now. And so it's a, an act of higher level terror against anybody who fights for social justice in Honduras. Thanks so much, Dana Frank, professor of history at the University of California, Santa Cruz, joining us from Santa Cruz via Skype today on Latin Pulse. Thanks so much for joining us. Okay, great. Thanks a lot, Rick. Good luck. Thanks for joining us this week for Latin Pulse, coming to you remotely from New York City and the Latin American Studies Association Conference. If you'd like to send us your suggestions or comments, you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud, or you may write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's Latin Pulse, all one word, at gmx.com. You can also find our program at the website, Latin America Goes Global. You can find that website at Latin America Goes Global, written as all one word, dot O-R-G. If you're looking for earlier editions of our program, we're available in other locations on the web, including iTunes, Facebook, and Henty Flow. And as always, you can find us in the Brazilian online game, Minimundos. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website. You can find it at linktv, all one word, dot org, and then slash Latin dash pulse. That's linktv.org slash Latin dash pulse. Thanks for joining us this week on Latin Pulse in New York City. For our entire team, Production assistant, Chorsey Martin. And technical director, Jim Singer. I'm Rick Rockwell. Escuchen nos otra vez. Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is produced at the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university, headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, with music copyright support through Webster University and Link TV. This program is copyright 2016 Las Rocas Productions.